Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today's guest is probably one of, again, the most perfect people that I could have on to be interviewed about the relationship with her body. So, so cool. Her name is Lauren Rasmussen. She's a certified trauma-informed coach who helps women who struggle with body image, disordered eating, and self-worth. What she does at the heart of it is that she helps women understand how what they've been through in their life impacts what they're currently struggling with now in regards to the above. I was really excited because Lauren and I got to talk about a topic that is very, very near and dear to my heart, which I feel like I've kind of dipping my toes in the water for, I guess, as far as the conversation goes. And I want to talk and learn so much more about it. But that is the conversation about the connection between uh, sexual trauma and body image and how that affects your relationship with your body. I have my own story and history with it, but it was really, really cool learning from Lauren's story and her wisdom and what she knows about trauma and all the things so that was really cool we talk a ton about trauma what trauma does to our body like physically like how it lives in our tissues and what happens inside of our brains when a traumatic experience happens and all that kind of stuff that I'm super super nerdy about so anyway I hope you enjoy If you guys are enjoying the Unity Project podcast and you want to support and get more involved, then I would be so, so honored and just thankful if you went over to my Patreon page for the Unity Project where you can give as little as $1 a month and become a big part of why I get to actually make this podcast and to help me continue to make this podcast and continue having these really cool interviews about topics that I really think are going to change the world if we talk about more. Or you can go pick up a copy of my book, Finding Home. You can do that at my website, JackieGronland.com. Or if you can't afford to support me financially, that is absolutely okay. Leaving a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts, that helps so, so much more than I think we give credit to. So any of those things are wonderful. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Lauren, how's it going over there in Canada? It is uh, wet and rainy. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) I know. How about Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee's cold and weird. I don't like it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Lauren, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. You're one of the like third or fourth people I've interviewed from Canada, which is really cool. I have so many friends up there now. I love that. (laughs) Yes, yes. You said you were originally from the U.S. though in Washington? Yeah, so I'm originally from Washington State, um, and I fell in love with a Canadian, and then we decided to get married, and I was like, hey, if we're going to pick which country to live in, I think I'd rather live in Canada than the U.S. (laughs) right now. I don't blame you. Wait, what what year did that happen, just out of curiosity? 
Gosh, so that happened in 2018. And it was really funny, too, because when I first moved up here and I got my work permit, I was serving part time. And I kid you not, as soon as I would tell the customers that I was from the States, they're like, so who'd you vote for? Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like, we Every just have to scope time. you out. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. So um, oh. it's good times. <laughs> you got out a good time. I, I do yeah. not blame you at all for leaving the U.S. in 2008. No. 18. It is a gong show. I feel for you guys. So my mom's still there and I'm like, Becky, just try to get up here. Try to get to Canada too. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. The amount of escape plans I've tried to create going to Canada has just been ridiculous. Oh. So I maybe my I'll God. see you. Yes, please come. <laughs> anyway, Lauren, for those of you guys listening, I was just telling Lauren actually that I came across her on Instagram because my therapist, who's the coolest, most badass therapist <laughs> in the world, uh, reshared one of her her stories or posts or something and I was like oh my gosh if Amber's sharing it I gotta check it out and I was not not let down at all so <laughs> that's a really <laughs> really you. cool small world <laughs> yes um but anyway so Lauren you are a uh describe what you do you're a coach a body image coach yeah so I like to say that I bridge the gap between how your relationship with food body image and self-worth um, goes really hand in hand with the trauma that you've been through in your life. Um, mm. And so I guess credentially wise, I'm a trauma informed coach um, and an intuitive eating counselor. And so I, I work with women who, who deal with food and body image issues and really at the crux of it, um, just want to feel better in their minds too. Um, so it's, it's an honor. I love what I do. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. I can yeah. only imagine knowing just the bits of your story that I've read over the past week. I can only imagine that must be a really, really incredible job for you to have. Um, yeah. It gives me goosebumps. As you say that it's a very full circle, um, yeah. full circle thing. So I'm, I'm in eternally grateful for where I'm at in my life right now. Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> absolutely. So cool. Well, this is like kind of a perfect topic for you then. I'd say (laughs) talking about the body relationship that goes well. I'm so excited Mm -hmm. that you wanted to do this Um, to to start off the podcast. Would you describe the relationship that you have with your body? Yeah, um, it is a let's see. I guess the relationship that I have with my body today is really one built on a lot of years of learning how to respect it how to be aware of it and how to claim autonomy over it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really to describe the relationship that I have with my body is to kind of bring it back to what I went through in my life. Um, You know, there are so many layers to my story. Um, And, and Jackie and I were briefly speaking before the recording. And I think the, the best way to describe the relationship with my body is to say that for so long, I believed that it wasn't really my own. Um, and so I learned to cope with that narrative that my body wasn't my own through treating it really shitty for, oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Oh yeah. No, you're good. (laughs) So you say whatever you need to say. Okay, good. I appreciate Um, all the cursing. Okay, good. (laughs) It's like only Um, curse words from here on out. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I, I hated my body for a lot of years and, but that's, that's not how I feel today. And so basically through a lot of therapy, um, and, and really a lot of years between me and what I went through, I can now say, I really do look at her with just an enormous amount of respect and neutrality. Um, 
you know, I empathize with my body and I'm incredibly patient with her. Um, And I think more than anything, I just see that that change and healing and awareness of the relationship with my body happens so slowly that, you know, to get to the point I am today, I didn't even realize it had happened until it had, Um, you know, and so basically like the relationship I have with my body right now is rooted in so much conversation with her. Um, and I guess I just decided over time slowly that I really refuse to hate her. Um, and, and I, I look at her lovingly now I can say that hundred percent. So that's pretty cool. Um, Mm. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. When you talk about like the conversations that you have with her, what Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Do you mean like literally, or how would you say that kind of looks? I mean, I think we all, at the end of the day, the intention with the body needs to come back to the feedback and the, the feedback that we receive from the body. And so, you know, every day I wake up and I, I listen to what's going on. I listen to how I'm feeling in my head. I listen to my energy levels. I listen to maybe what kind of movement she wants or what, what, what nourishment would feel good. Um, and so it's almost like this feedback loop that I'm constantly in. And it, it is a really natural experience, I guess, once you get there. Um, just kind of lean a bit more into the conversation that you can have with your body. Um, so not really... Uh, I don't like look in the mirror and I talk to her um, or sometimes <laughs> I guess I pump myself up and I'm like, we're going to be badass bitches today. Don't you worry. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think just the, the conversation of, Hey, what does my body need today? How, how can I show her some respect? Um, okay. I think it's, yeah. 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 That makes sense. And cause we used to, the reason I asked that is cause we used to do these exercises, um, in treatment of like writing mm-hmm. letters to our bodies and then yes. writing a, which was super trippy, like trying to write a letter from our body back to us. And I was like, what in the world? And it's weird how like where your mind goes with that and actually being from that perspective of the body, it opens so many doors and like eyes to see how that relationship looks, which actually is like kind of the the start of me wanting to have this podcast, which is super fun. But yeah, that that's very, very cool. I love the description you have of the relationship with yourself. I think that shows so much work that you've put in, which I can only imagine. Because <laughs> especially like like when you said it doesn't, I don't remember exactly what you said, but you said it doesn't like just like happen all of a sudden, but you like yes. kind of look back yes. and you realize it has been happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, change. I, I like to say change happens so slowly that it doesn't, you don't even notice it's happening till it has. Mm. Um, and so like for me, I was disconnected from my, from my body for so many years. And I think healing is not an end game. You know, healing is a, um, is a constant process oriented practice. And um, I continue to further my relationship with my, my body, you know, where I am now is, is not where I'll be in five years. And, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome and encouraging to hear because sometimes I'm like, when is it going to happen? How do I know? Oh, Am I ever mm-hmm. going to change? And then I'm like, wait a minute. A lot has happened from now since last year. 
Completely. So, and I think it's so good to like take those times to recognize like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. this, this stream of thought is different than it was 12 months ago. So congratulations to you. I'm sure that wasn't easy. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Well, do you want to talk to me about a time when you felt the most disconnected from your body and kind of what your journey with that looked like? Yeah. You know, uh, when I think about being disconnected to my body, I don't even know if it's like necessarily a, a certain time. It, it kind of spanned a lot of years. And so um, basically without going too far into my story, when I was, so I'm 29 right now. And so when I was 19, I went to trial against my father. And so he was sentenced to anywhere from 19 years to life for the, some sexual trauma that, that he, and he put me through throughout a good portion of my childhood. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. And so really to answer the question, like I lived a lot of my life disconnected to my body. Um, and it it wasn't probably until age 23 or 24. So, so five years post trial that I really began to explore what it felt like to be embodied. Um, because I think like, especially when we deal with sexual trauma, it, it so changes the relationship you have with yourself and your body because disassociation um, comes so into play. You know, we don't want to be in our bodies when something traumatic is happening to our bodies. And so my brain is helping me by taking me out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really became my my window of tolerance or like my norm for living life was being disconnected. Um, and so, yeah, I would say from up until age 24, I was pretty fucking disconnected from my body. I only laugh because I think it's a coping mechanism. So in advance. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can yeah. only imagine what you're saying makes so much sense as far mm-hmm. as like to get through that moment. Because like, especially, mm-hmm. and I don't know your full story, but like, I'm imagining like as a kid, when yeah. things like that are happening to you, you don't know what's going on, but your body's trying to protect you and your brain's trying to protect you. So if that means leaving your body to survive that moment, then that's what you got to do. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I felt like, um, I, I used to judge myself like a ton about stuff mm-hmm. like that or because like they're all strategies in the long run. I feel like dissociation or eating disorders or yeah. um, addiction and stuff just to like survive. And I used to judge myself really harshly about stuff like that. But then when you look at the actual event of what is happening, it's like, I don't know. I'll, if that's what I needed to do to survive that moment and to get to the yeah. next day, then like that's okay. Completely. And, and you know from a trauma-informed perspective, it's like that that narrative of tough love that we're so often taught, like just stop or, or just don't do it. It doesn't work from from yeah. the, for, for those who have been through trials and tribulations. Like, you know, and I know both of our, both you and I from our brief conversation prior have been through eating disorder recovery and, and in treatment even, I think like, yes, we got to get the person to eat. But then after we eat, how can we get them to like, still be okay with their bodies and be okay in their head, you know? Um, And so as far as coping mechanisms, I always bring it down to the nervous system. And it's like, my body's just trying to protect me right now. And the way it knows to protect me is taking me out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And same with like an eating disorder or or addiction, you know, it's, it's hard to be human sometimes. Um, Yeah. 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 And having that compassion, I think is where it all starts. 
is the where the healing starts per se. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in some of your writing, you talked a bit about an eating disorder when you were growing yes. up. Uh, what did what did that look like? Um, gosh, <laughs> so <laughs> um, kind of long story short, um, when I was thirteen or fourteen, I stopped seeing my dad just for a variety of other reasons not related to the sexual trauma. Um, and when I, when he stopped being in my life, it left a very gaping hole. Um, you know, you go from somebody needing you for so many years of your life to all of a sudden them being out of it, it really, um, fucked with my head. And so the way that I dealt with that was I started controlling my food intake. I started, um, purging, I started self-harming. Um, and so that really spanned up until my early twenties. Um, you know, I think eating disorders, uh, look so different from person to person. And, um, for me, I just, it was my way of controlling the situation, but also it was very heavily rooted in me not really liking the vessel that I was in. I didn't like what my body had been through. So I, I really wanted to punish myself. Um, yeah, so that the big stuff, but, but the reality of it is I think a lot of the times when you go through that kind of thing, you're like, fuck this thing, like, fuck this body that has been through this. Like, I don't want anything to do with it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's easier to hate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting looking at eating disorders. And I love, I love how you wrote a few times, I think in an email. And then also I think in one of the posts that you sent me mm-hmm. about how, uh, eating disorders, like yours in particularly, how you talk about it's so much deeper than just diet culture and like, not to, <laughs> not to dismiss diet culture because mm-hmm. diet culture can just go die in a <laughs> hole. We all hate it passionately and it ruins yeah. lives but there's so much more to it especially mm-hmm. when like someone's been through sexual trauma and from someone even like deeper of someone who like you trust like a caregiver like just mm-hmm. looking at the dynamic of how a father is supposed to be to a daughter like mm-hmm. what that the whole attachment theory there's just we can go so many different routes here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man and, and you're so right like you know, diet culture is, 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 I always say, don't hate the player, hate the game with diet culture. Like we see it all on social media, all of the time. Like, and and I never want to negate from somebody's story who struggles with, you know, being in the realms of diet culture, because it is all rooted in in the patriarchy and fat phobia. And that could be a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think though, yeah. And I just think (laughs) though parallel to that is like, when you add sexual trauma to it, or, or even like, heavy trauma complex PTSD let's say for instance when that disassociation comes into play um it's just a whole nother layer I think that needs to be to be dealt with you know um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah how would you kind of describe like like I was mentioning earlier um I've had a lot of conversations with different Different uh, clinicians and whatnot about the relationship between bad body image and sexual Mm -hmm. trauma. And I I think I've read a bit about it in a couple books, but I feel like there's so much more that I want to know kind of of what that middle ground looks like and kind of how sexual trauma 
can result in bad body image and stuff. I feel like I know like the bones of it, but how would you kind of talk about that? I mean, I guess first, like when you bring it back to trauma in general, like trauma is our nervous system's response to an event where there's a perceived threat, which means that, you know, two people could go through the exact same thing and only one could come out traumatized. Um, and so I think that's a really pertinent thing to discuss because it's, it's someone's physiological response to it, which means it's already so based in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, trauma itself is literally stored in our body's tissues and it's stayed there until it can be processed and released. Like what, what is it like? You have to feel it to heal it like that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know when it's not released and we have trauma, it can lead to physiological pain, such as upset stomach, IBS, headaches, tight muscles. I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's also, so the trauma memory is stored in, in your amygdala or your brain. And so where it kind of all comes together is when, if you take food and body, trauma often results in disassociation. So it can mean that we feel as if our bodies aren't our own and that can feel really out of control. And so one way that we seek control and feel safe is to become very hyper aware of our body and controlling of it, which then perpetuates this negative body image. Um, And when the bad body talk comes in and the control around food, for me, that is always a cue that something doesn't feel safe for you at the moment. So for instance, If you've been through years, let's say, of trauma, your nervous system is different. Your nervous system is wired differently and and it's overactivated and it's in this place where it doesn't feel safe. Um, And so that means that we're going to be triggered or be up quite consistently. And so the way that we cope with that then is that bad body talk and that control around food. And often, though, that just means that when you get triggered or when you have the bad body talk and the control around food, that really often is a deeper feeling of, you know, we don't feel good enough or we don't feel safe enough or we have shame around our body. Um, Or it could mean in that moment we feel disconnected or lonely or not enough or afraid or we want to avoid it. Um, So long story short, (laughs) (laughs) it's it is easier in a way to cope using our bodies than it is to see what's underneath that bad body talk, which is oftentimes a lot of really, really sad stories that we feel that sometimes we won't be able to get through if we sit with it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense on a very personal level. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about it? Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Uh, just a therapy session for both of us, really yeah, quick. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. I yeah. Know. Yeah. I get that. So, like, kind of, if what I'm hearing, I'm going to tell you what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. You tell me if I'm on it. Um, kind of like, so when something happens trauma wise, and in this case scenario, sexual trauma, mm-hmm. um, it makes us not feel safe in our bodies because mm-hmm. it just, we just don't feel safe in general because um, mm-hmm. our nervous systems change to let us mm-hmm. know like we're in danger. And mm-hmm. I guess from what I've read in a few different books and stuff, it kind of like, oh man, have you ever read? Um, I think it's called waking the caged tiger or something like that yes 
I have. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I didn't finish it, but from what I did read of it, it was so fascinating on how it talks about of when um, we experienced or when an event leads to trauma, it means that like our nervous system and our body didn't get to finish the process of complete survival. Um, so it's kind of like constantly in survival mode, which just becomes like you were saying your window of tolerance. So mm-hmm. you like, you can't tolerate much and kind of like our way to, I guess, cope with that is to disconnect from our bodies mm-hmm. because we can't, it's hard to like, cause I, I see eating disorder as like similar. It's not the same as self-harm, but it's harming yourself. And so completely. You kind of have to disconnect from yourself in order to do that. And with the disconnection, I guess, comes like the bad body image and the hating yourself and the punishing yourself. It just like it separates you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and, And like, so when we've been through really, really hard things, it's like, uh, the pain of existing is so much that it's that instead of feeling the pain of existing, it's, it's almost it's easier to cope using those coping mechanisms. You know, I see oftentimes a lot of things like when we, when we drink too much or when we self harm or when we do what, what and what and what that is, that is a cue that something doesn't feel safe in our nervous system. And that is a cue that we've been through something that is really hard for us to process. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of the work I do is, I always say it's not the how, well, it is, it's not the how, but it's the why. And so for instance, when I work with women who struggle with diet culture or disordered eating, and they're not really sure how to change that, when we then bring it back to, okay, well, what's been going on in your life? Like, what are you stressed about? What, what did you learn growing up about your body? What was the narrative that you created? And in processing that, I've seen that they can find a lot of relief and it's almost like they can begin to own their stories and own who they are while learning, you know, like science-based applications to also healing their relationship with their bodies and navigating bad body talk and learning about hunger cues and intuitive eating and such like that. Um, Uh Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So kind of is what you're saying, like uh, basically versus treating symptoms, like treat like the wound of like what actually happened. Completely, completely, which is much <laughs> harder work than treating the symptoms, though. Yes, I often indeed. See. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just like a 30 day, you know, cure all. Like, yeah. Um, like, just I, stop I doing I, it for a while. Yeah, yeah, just don't. Just, just, just quit. Eat, you know, just eat <laughs> yeah, the just food. Eat food. You'll feel fine. I'm like, oh my God. Just be uh, happy. Like, all of that shit is yeah. just. Yeah, it doesn't get to the root of the issue. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I could not agree more. I'm yeah. super, super lucky for the treatment center I did go to. They talked a bunch of people that were there, other clients and stuff. Um, they had been to like a handful of other places and the place I went to is the only place I'd been to. And okay. they talked about how the place we were at is the only place that also incorporates like trauma work into Love it. That. And we don't really like we talk about the food like maybe 15 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. But then 85% of the time, it's like, what's the food represent? What's actually going exactly. on? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, the, the space that I work in, you know, I, I, I don't work with women who have 
active eating disorders. Um, but I, I work with you know, usually the person who has healed from their, from their, uh, active eating disorder, but still feels like the shadow of it, I guess you could say, um, Mm -hmm. or, or, or just in general, maybe has been through certain trials and tribulations that impact their relationship with body and food. And, um, as you said, you know, yes, we totally talk about the principles of intuitive eating, (laughs) but, um, let's talk about what actually is going on instead, you know, and that's usually where the, the reprieve comes in and the kind of aha moments, if you will. So, yeah, 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 that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you said earlier when we were talking about like trauma in the body and stuff that our bodies hold it in our tissues. Yes. I have never heard it that way. Would you mind telling me a little bit more? I'm, I'm like, I'm a total like neuroscience nerd. Whenever anyone says anything about like the body or the brain, like holding trauma or this or that in different ways, I get really into it. Yes. So <laughs> do you want to expand on that? Yeah. So like trauma itself is not explicit it's implicit which means it's it's stored in your body and so i can't remember the exact word off the top of my head right now maybe it's because i'm a bit nervous but trauma is is stored no it's a good thing i like being nervous it's me not it means i care you know (laughs) yeah um so so it's stored in our in our bodies um tissues just as emotions are and i can't remember the receptors um but but just trust me basically um and i'll tell you the name of it after this call today but but (laughs) the in the brain at least which i can speak to right now it's stored in the amygdala and so the amygdala stores the visual images of the trauma as sensory fragments sensory fragments and so what that basically means is like a trauma memory is not stored like a story like like when you get triggered you're, you're not experiencing the whole whole spectrum of the day that you had that day that you were triggered instead it's stored via our senses so Mm -hmm. so taste touch smell sounds and sight um so for instance do do you have certain smells that bring you right back to your childhood or do you have certain smells that that trigger you or songs or anything like that yes yes (laughs) (laughs) And, and and so when you when you have that smell is it the smell that brings you back to that moment yeah, smell and definitely music. I cannot listen Completely. to country music ever again. <laughs> oh no! Hey, I know. It's good to know that. It's good to know that. Yes, I know good you to know. Brown eyed girl. Yep, I brown eyed girl by Van Morrison. I'm leaving the restaurant if that song oh. ever comes on. I'm like, oh nope. god, duly noted. <laughs> For in the future, whenever we go hang in Canada, we will bounce. <laughs> Completely. And, and so basically, because it's stored in your body and it's stored through the brain, we, we don't we can't necessarily really deal with it unless we're in our bodies. So like, for instance, you know, right now I, I could talk about what I went through in my childhood and I would I would physically disassociate as I was talking about it because. Because if I were to maybe sit with it in my body, I don't feel like this is the the place and time to do that, you know? And so when we think about processing emotions and processing stories in our body, it's about how can we be in our bodies as we're actually like talking about what's been going on in our lives. Um, Mm. For instance, when I went to trial, I just no one should ever have to go to trial first but you know I was a young 19 year old I was a baby and and when the prosecuting attorney came up and my dad's six feet away from me 
and, and their, or the defense attorney, I guess, and my dad six feet away from me, I had to leave my body in order to tell what had actually happened. Because if mm. I had, if I had stayed in my body during that, I don't think I would have been able to handle the physical response of it. And so yeah. like, for instance, when you get triggered, you know, heart palpitations, sweat, dry tongue, things like that are all a cue that maybe like, Hey, something's not going or we don't feel safe right now. What's going on? And it's about how can we learn to maybe in a safe container, ride that emotion a little bit and see that what is happening is not, or what happened is not happening now. And we can, we can process that emotion or we can process that, that memory um, and be okay. Obviously <laughs> there's, there's highs and lows to that. Like there are some memories that I don't want to revisit. And I think we talked about that at the beginning of the call. Um, mm-hmm. But, but there is a bit of somatic and talk therapy. I feel like that needs to happen in order to feel um, like you can move on. Um, yeah. I hope that yeah. makes sense. I feel like I just rambled. So. <laughs> no, that, no, no, no. That totally makes sense. It reminds okay. me a lot of uh, EMDR actually. Completely. Have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think you yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Very similar. <laughs> yeah, kind of just like the concept, because I'm in the middle of it right now, and I'm oh. like, what is happening? Yep. Um, but it's so interesting how just like the act of reprocessing something in a way that makes like in an environment that tells your body that you're like, you're safe when you're here. Kind of like my therapist puts it like one foot in the past, one foot in the present. Yes. And, like mm-hmm. kind of like even imagine you're watching it on a TV if that's helpful. So mm-hmm. you can see it as a story. Cause when you, when you talked about like the, how our brain holds trauma in like these little fragments, like mm-hmm. these images that makes so much sense. Cause when you like hear someone or even just like hear yourself talking about a traumatic experience, it sounds super blotchy. Like if they haven't (laughs) processed it yet, like all over the place. Mm -hmm. But then if you're just telling a story, there's like a really easy beginning, middle end. not really like it just, that's the story. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Um, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. The way you're talking about reminds me of that, the post that you made about the smell of the shampoo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk talk about what happened there. Uh, I mean, I, so yeah, I, I am pretty good at recognizing my, my triggers and I can't. So, oh yeah. So my, my husband and I were like on a walk or something one random morning, probably only like two months ago. And, and there was this guy who was coming up, like just walking the opposite direction of us. So we were going to intercept him. And, And as he passed by, I was like, holy fuck, is that pert plus shampoo? And, and oh, I kid no. you not, like before I even, so my brain didn't recognize what the trigger was before my body did. And so like, I passed this guy, I smell this thing, and it just instantly took me back to my father's bathroom. And I am like, what is going on? And so luckily, I have an amazing partner who has seen me through I did my really, really hard therapy, let's say like four years ago now. So um, I worked with a a therapist who I worked through what is called lifespan integration therapy. Um, And it it basically takes you through your timeline because oftentimes when, and I don't know if you can relate to this, when you get triggered or when you get stuck in a trauma, it feels hard to move through it, you know? Um, And so when her and I worked together, for instance, 
I would say neutral memories from different ages of my life. And she would, she would talk she, or she would have me envision neutral memories from different ages in my life. And, and the very interesting thing is, is as you work through the timeline, you'll see that your brain almost gets stuck in certain ages where probably something traumatic had happened. Um, and so long story short, it was, it's just really hard work. And so after the sessions, probably like you are with EMDR, um, you feel depleted, right? And you feel mm-hmm. tired. And, and so my husband basically was the one who supported me through that. And so, you know, when, when those triggers come, he knows what to do. Like, like Lauren, where are you right now? Lauren, how old are you right now? Lauren, like, where do we live right now? Um, just to bring me back to my body, you know, and, and bring me back to the present moment. Um, <clears throat> and I think that it's just, it's crazy, not crazy. It's wild how quickly a memory can kind of slip in without you knowing it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you said that's called life integration therapy. So it's called lifespan integration therapy. Um, and, and there's a lot more to it than that. Amy, my therapist, my old therapist would be like, you're explaining this terribly, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. It's no, it's, it's, it's a really great therapy and, and she, you know, it wasn't every session. I probably did it about, I don't know, 30 times. And it was just a really good way after going to trial against him to, to move on, not to move on. Cause he'll always be with me, but, um, to make some more space for other things in my life. You know, um, I think sometimes when you go through really, really hard things, I I got really comfortable with those really hard things. I really I really felt almost safe with the hard things. Um so for me it was learning how to feel safe with the happiness too and feel safe with the joy. Um mm-hmm. that felt that felt harder for me. Um I'm sure others could probably relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually a lot. Even mm-hmm. I think um I think in one of your posts about that you talked about like or maybe it was even in this conversation, honestly, mm-hmm. like the hole you felt like him being gone yes. left in your life, mm-hmm. which it makes sense, like with trauma in mind and with mm-hmm. um, manipulation in mind, with, with yes. all those things. <laughs> but then like looking at it, it's like, oh, well, shouldn't you be like happy that mm-hmm. you're safe now? But it's so much more complicated than that as far as like, that's like, that was your normal and that was your life. And like, especially like, I mentioned earlier, like coming from a caregiver, yeah. you're like, oh man, like you're, I could just imagine how you're, um, with that kind of abuse, what that does to your idea of like what love is supposed to look like. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And, and really like two things to that, like even now, so he's been in prison since 2011. Um, and, and the longer he's in there, I almost have tried to cope lately with like putting some rose colored glasses around it, if you will, like, oh, mm-hmm. he's probably changed or, or he's probably found God or things like that. But, you know, I, I think the, the hard part is, is that you can simultaneously love somebody and hate what they did to you. Um, and so I think when I speak online, sometimes I'll share, you know, just brief parts of what I've been through the the average folks have a really hard time understanding that he could have done what he did to me and I could still miss him sometimes, or I could still even love him. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and bringing that to 
my own relationship and and falling in love it it's not easy and thankfully you know i've had a myriad of relationships and i want to thank all of them for um, figuring it out <laughs> especially my uh boyfriend danny who went with me to trial he, we were babies we were freshmen in college so to think of a freshman in college boy supporting his girlfriend through that is just oh, mind-boggling wow. to me looking back i know he's a boss um but but you know my my current my my husband he um, was just always open to, to meeting where, me where I was at. Um, and so, you know, I, as you can imagine, when you've been through sexual trauma, there's a lot of um, distrust. I've struggled with jealousy. I've struggled with, with that, to be honest, intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Stu, my husband, um, is just patient. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and honestly, he was communicative with my therapist. So um, I think that is so pivotal. She gave him a lot of good ways that him and I could communicate when triggers came up. And um, I won't say that I'm perfect because I'm not. And I I don't know if I'll ever be able to completely, I hate to say completely trust somebody because I feel like that is sad for people who think that there's like some magical ending, but um, there will always be parts of that. Um, those memories in me, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, but but I always face them basically. Well, when I feel safe to do so. Um, and having a partner who knows that is just so, so, so needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's (sighs) very, very cool. Especially going into what you're saying about, uh, your, your partner, your husband, his name's Mm -hmm. Stu, you said? Stu. Yeah, Stu. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I guess speaking through like the whole attachment theory thing, um, having, kind of like relearning what love and attachment, like healthy, healthy love and attachment looks like having someone there to go through that with you that understands it and is with it is like the most healing thing in the world for trauma. At least in my, in my opinion, that's so cool. Cause it like, it kind of rewires your brain into saying like, Oh, uh, attachment figures don't like love is an abuse maybe like a, as big as that is mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's like okay he's not going anywhere he he does love me he's not going anywhere he does love me like that's kind of my mantra and and you know I, I I hate the quote that says like you can't love somebody else until you like love yourself or whatever and Ugh. it's like I think that that <laughs> when you don't I love yourself, <laughs> you you really can te- someone else can teach you how to how what love is like. Like you just said, like that's where you can learn your attachment from. And so you know, I learn it through him. I learn it through looking at his family. I learn it through my mother, my brothers. Um, you know, when you've been through abuse, it doesn't even impact just you. You know, it impacts the whole family unit. And so I think the past few years, like seeing how the attachment styles have even changed, like my mom and I's relationship has just completely changed in the most beautiful way over the past few years. Um, And so basically just to see that you're not stuck in one attachment for your whole life, perhaps is a really empowering thing. Um, Mm. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. (laughs) Uh, Someone I interviewed recently, uh, talked about how, cause like I used to just feel so hopeless when it came to like the concept of rewiring your brain and like actually 
actually like being able to work through trauma and being able to yeah. have a relationship where you don't f- constantly feel afraid or in danger or mm-hmm. like you need to run away. And uh, she was talking about how it's like scientifically proven that you actually can rewire your brain in attachment stuff. And I thought it, w- it was like a huge celebration yes. moment for me. <laughs> it's like, wait, yes. really? <laughs> <laughs> what? I know. Okay. Repetition. Repetition rewires the brain. And it's like, yo, if I've been through 18 years or whatever abuse, I'm like, maybe it won't change in three months. But you bet your fucking ass that I'm going to work my butt off to 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 let that happen you know um yeah yeah, it's cool stuff the brain is a wild thing (laughs) yeah that's that's very very cool Um, so tell me you were 19 when you went to um trial against your dad yes and then you're 29 now yes and you you told me before you've been working in mental health for about five to six years yes yeah okay so what did that kind of like What's that timeline look like? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's interesting because um, the funny about the U.S. legal system is is it takes a really long time, and so um, I when so when the whole legal process happened, I was actually seventeen. So I was in my senior year of high school. I just started it, and so it took. Two and a half years. Sorry, they're cutting trees right in my backyard. I hope you can't hear that. I'm going to move. <laughs> um, oh, you're good. I okay. don't, but. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it took about two years for the legal process to actually go to trial. And so that means that I had already started my undergraduate education um, when I was preparing for it. And to be honest, you know, I say, so I graduated with a degree in psychology and an emphasis in behavioral neuroscience in 2014. Um, If you think that I um, really like, I learned more from going to trial throughout that and the, and the therapy and everything afterwards. And um, with that though, I've always known that I wanted to, to help people like me or, or just people who hurt in general. And so when I graduated I didn't necessarily just want to go continue on with school. I was kind of ready for a break. So I went to Costa Rica and I became a yoga instructor. Um, After I got back from Costa Rica, I guess that was 2015 at that point. um, I started working at a young women's recovery center as the yoga instructor there. And so this is kind of really where my story took a major turn. Um, because so I'd, I'd go in there on Thursdays, I'd, I'd teach them yoga, I'd play them music, I'd talk to them, I'd, I'd talk, to, I'd read them my poetry, they'd hold space or I'd hold space for them. And um, it was like the first time in my life that I found that I could hold space for somebody without needing to be like, oh, my God, me too. Do you want to hear what I went through? You know, um, mm. because I think for I know for me, at least, and and maybe this is even embarrassing to say, but you know, when I was young and when people didn't know what was going on, I felt so isolated. And so when things started coming out and when, when things, when people, when my mom found out and when everything kind of escalated, I just wanted everybody to know. It was like, I needed to talk about it because it had been a secret for, you know, 10 years. Um, and so that unraveling to get to the place where I could then hold space for somebody was really cool. Um, basically, after that, I did a, a handful of uh, certifications. Um, so I did my intuitive eating certification. I did a handful of trauma-informed certifications. 
um, and a random nutrition certification. And so basically with that is when I started coaching people, um, I kind of honed in on my niche of coaching probably the last year and a half. So um, it's when I started bridging the gap between my with the relationship with food, body and self-worth. And then usually with those who have been through some type of trial and tribulation in their life. Um, So that niche of women who maybe don't realize that their relationship with body and food is rooted in, in some of the things that they've been through or the things that they're currently going through. Um, And so that is the timeline. I think I said it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, that is awesome. That really did like, turn around very quickly like you said from that yoga class that must have felt really empowering to be able to like take your story and use it to hold space and create freedom for other people's stories and to just have that space to talk through it I know that that's a big game changer yeah yeah like 19 to 24 was like a really hard and 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 sad time in my life and and I mean to be honest too when I say like even two and a half years ago, though, I don't know if I would have been able to hold space for what I do today in the sessions I have like today with the women, you know? Mm. Um, and so I always like to say that if you want to help people, you don't need to be years and years and years ahead of them. Um, you just need to recognize that like you do have something with inside of you and, and with obviously the, the proper, let's say, I don't want to, if you want to say credentials or certifications, but just making sure that you're staying within your, your zone of genius. Um, mm, I, yeah. I think a lot of good can come from it and you can always pivot, you know? So the past year or so, as I've gotten more certifications and as I've recognized that I'm more in the mental health realm, like I liked, I like talking more about the stories um my clients have also transitioned and the type of people I work with has changed and and that's okay you know um Mm -hmm. your business can change with you um and I think that's cool yeah yeah Yeah. that's that's very very cool I I read on your website I believe that you uh kind of your goal with clients is to help them spiritually mentally and physically come home to their bodies and whatnot what does that look like the three different ways of that I love the concept of coming home to your body by the way that's like my thing so yeah yeah. so it's it's a bit muddled as I think about it right now and like I I think so often when we think about coming home to our bodies we we do really think about it still as a seek to control our our environment and so you know when when I think about the 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 majority of of the women and I say women because I predominantly work with women identifying and um when I when I think about it it's usually they feel like once they get to a certain narrative or once they have this future narrative of their body that they'll then feel complete and so what I try to do is I come in and I try to work with somebody to see that they are so much more than this futurized version of the body that they think they need and so this comes from of breaking down those pillars as i said spiritually mentally and physically and um you know as far as physically finding out what embodied movement means figuring out what feels safe in your nervous system for movement um working through the the limiting beliefs that you have around let's say weight or food or weight gain um and and in a whole nother level too 
addressing the inherent <laughs> fat phobia that runs throughout our society that has really created this need to constantly shrink ourselves. Um, that transitions though into that mental component too, because it's like, if we don't deal with what's going on in the head, how can we change anything physically? How can we even learn what body respect or, or gentle nutrition would look like if, if we feel like our brain is constantly on fire, basically? Um, and so I think it's so pertinent then kind of like we talked about earlier to, to figure out why we are like this, you know, and, and mm -hmm. again, I'm not, I stay within my zone of genius. And so that means really honing in on just stories that we've told, or we've been told in the narrative that we've created. Um, I take this to spiritually though, too, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to our, our version of self. And for me, I'm, uh, that self-worth is stripping it all away, knowing that I'm still worthy. And I think that is such a, a spiritual, for lack of a better word, because I feel like it's so much deeper than mental or physical in a way thing to, to recognize that your self-worth is inherent no matter what you've been through. Um, and I'm literally touching my chest as I'm saying this because I believe it so wildly. And um, so to be able to work with a client through science-based and applications to cultivate greater norms of self-worth and seeing that strip it all away, they are still good enough. Um, doing all of that together, all of the things I just listed seems to <laughs> really help um, people find some some peace in their body. And, and as I said, come home to it. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. I love it. It's everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Where have we been? We've been talking about everything. I love it. I love it. Oh, <laughs> me too. That is so good. So, so good. Yeah. I like, I feel not like speechless because I feel like I have so many things to say, but at the same time, I'm like, you just said all the good things. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, I, it, it's cool for lack of a better word. It's really cool to see uh, when people start to believe in themselves and they're like, whoa, like I can create some space between stimulus and response. And so I try to help people cultivate that space for them to see that what my brain is thinking right now, I don't necessarily always have to act on it. And, and I am strong enough and I am safe enough, I think more than anything to ride that wave to get to a place where I feel calm again. Um, mm. and, and so I think when we have struggles with um, eating disorders or, or I like I disordered eating or, or what have you, um, if we can just slow down a little bit and, and help people sit with, not sit, feel safe in their bodies and feel safe with the emotions that are coming. And I always like to say that just as an, I'm a, I'm a yoga instructor as well. And so I, I bring a lot of, my teachings of yoga into this I, I always say just as an inhale becomes an exhale one emotion will dissipate and become another emotion it's just nature and so if we can learn to safely ride that wave so much reprieve and so much empowerment comes from that mm. yeah that's a really really great comparison and just sure. like just the concept of like you're saying just like knowing that just because like something comes up we don't have to act on it like if i want to 
do some kind of eating disorder behavior or if it's like addiction, like I have to drink to be okay. Like instead of shaming yourself for that or doing that, you, there's like a third option. You can sit with that and ask why and hold it with compassion and all of that good stuff, Lauren. I'm (laughs) cheersing to you. I'm so happy. This is great conversation. So yes. Oh, it's so wonderful. I feel like I could talk to you for so many more hours. Um, But I, I have two more questions for you for right now. Is that cool? Yes. No. Totally good. Totally good. Okay. Awesome. Uh Um, The the first one's on topic. The second one has nothing to do with anything. So I'll just give you give you that heads up now. Okay. Um, But. So what, so other than like, I know you mentioned yoga and you've mentioned different uh, therapies and types of things, but what are, I guess, your favorite ways today to connect with your body when you feel like either you're being, you've been triggered from something or you're just having like a bad mental health day or you feel disconnected? Like what are ways you bring yourself back? Um, you know, I guess two parts. So for instance, I always like to say to my clients that some of these grounding practices that we practice are like preventative measures. And so, for instance, on a, on a normal day, on a day-to-day life, I try to get some sort of embodied movement in. I, I love to journal. Um, I love to get outside. I, I love to shower. Um, I like to wash my hands. I know some of these sound random, but um, and doing those type of things or meditate. I meditate and and doing those type of things every day or most days because we're human helps me that when I do get triggered, I'm not just then practicing those things. Those things mm-hmm. are a natural thing that I remember to go to. Um, and so I try to help my clients practice in their day to day things that they can do when they become triggered. Um, however, depending on where you're at in your nervous system, so randomly, it's so funny this happened, not funny, but yesterday, I got like massively triggered for like the first time in a year and a half. There were some things with my dad that had happened. I was like, why do you know I have this podcast tomorrow? Like, like, how are you showing up in my life right now? Um, And so I know it was so weird. And so yesterday afternoon, I had to pull out my like, my, my whole stop. So I had to hold ice cubes. Um, you know, I, my husband, yeah, ice cubes is a great one. Putting your hands in really cold water, um, essential oils, peppermint. I chew on peppermint sometimes because the, the taste just, just doing things with your senses to kind of ground you. Um, but, but yeah, those are probably, so I I feel like I mentioned my go-tos and then I mentioned like when I'm triggered like so yesterday for instance I was laying on my yoga mat and I was trying to do some yoga but it just wasn't working for my nervous system I felt incredibly unsafe and so I I just got up and I went and I stood outside and I I had my bare feet on the concrete and and for me that really helps me um Mm -hmm. because it, it puts you in your body and so um having that toolbox is helpful um and also having somebody to talk to. You know, I called my mom last night and I told her what was on my mind. And, and then I journaled about it this morning, even though I didn't really want to, but you know, thoughts are created in your head. They're not meant to stay in your head. So we got to fucking put them somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So those are my favorites. I like to move my body. I like to write about the thoughts in my head. I love putting on a really sad playlist 
and like driving and singing and crying or walking oh. and singing and crying. Oh, me it gets too. me every time. I love it, girl. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so healing in the yes. weirdest way. It I works. Know. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, the amount of times I've driven my car listening and singing loudly all of the sad Ed Sheeran oh. songs while oh. crying hard. Oh my like, God. Yes. Oh, Maybe I'll listen so to that healing. after this. Yeah. Oh, do it. Get it out, girl. Get it out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, my my last question for you, as I said before, is very off topic, okay. but very on brand. And I okay. think it's my favorite part of the show. Um <laughs> the whole show. Uh would you rather Yeah. <laughs> would you rather and just a side side note here, I don't ever plan these. I just start talking and see okay. what happens. So let's okay, see where good. this goes. I was like, is this a usual question? <laughs> like, yeah, no, okay. they're different every time. And okay. I don't I have I don't ever know what's gonna happen, but we're gonna find out together. Um would you rather every Friday and Thursday night for the rest of your life you became a seal? And your whole life's job as this seal is to create like the best beauty parlor for seals to make them feel like themselves. Like, just the greatest seal beauty parlor ever. Aww. And no one in your normal life, like in your human life, is going to understand. So you don't tell them unless you like really trust them. Like he could probably tell Stu. He sounds like the guy that would get that kind of thing. So <laughs> it's Thursday and Friday, seal night, okay. the, the beauty parlor with the seals. Mm -hmm. um, or would you rather... Have a job where you worked for an army of flamingos as their private investigator. And oh. this is a job that you did like regularly. People knew about it. It was like your thing. Uh, the flamingos, some of them were pretty moody. They have a lot of mood swings. But <laughs> overall, it's an okay job. And like that's like your thing in society is a private investigator mm. for a flock of flamingos. You know, I'm going to go with the seals. Um, and for some reason, <laughs> yeah. I know that like deep in my heart. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I want the seals. I could see, I could see maybe even Stu coming and helping me with it. If I only told oh, one yeah. person, like I, I, he has really long hair, so he could like relate to them. Like if we needed to brush their hair, I don't know. Like, oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I'm a seal gal on Thursday nights and Fridays. So. Okay. I like yeah. it. I would pick that too. As yeah. I was saying, it I was like there's nothing I can say on the other side of this that's gonna make me not pick the seals <laughs> I mean I do like being a private investigator but like yeah. I also like the hey I have this this secret life that no one knows about where I help seals yeah. feel good so that sounds oh, cool for sure. <laughs> the amount of seal friends you're gonna have for the rest of your life exactly. is just incomparable to anything else I'm into it I'm into it <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, Lauren, it has been so much fun talking with you and yeah. learning and just just getting to know you and your story and talking about, honestly, like my favorite topics to talk about. I love this stuff. So thank you for giving us your time today and being open to doing this with someone you've never met or chatted with. But now I feel like we are long lost friends that go back an hour ago when we just met. I love it. <laughs> now we know so much more. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank Is there um, anywhere you want to tell people to go to find you, find your classes, find your your work that you do 
Yeah. So I am uh, the simplest self across all forms of social media. So that's T-H-E-S-I-M-P-L-E-S-T self, S-E-L-L. S E L F. Um, so gosh, you yeah, you can find me on Instagram, my website, I YouTube. I have free trauma informed yoga classes. Um, you know, if you're ever interested in the services I offer, I do both one on one coaching and I have a group coaching container coming up in April. I always say it's a really good place for people to start who are maybe on the fence about learning what embodiment feels like, learning what what food, what what health quote unquote healthy relationship with food is and and really at the crux of it, learning what it's like to be in your body and coming home to it. Um, so you can always find that info on my website. And other than that, I mean, it's just an honor to be here today and to, to, to have this conversation. So I just want to say thank you to you, Jackie, and also anybody listening to this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you very much, Lauren. I, I love that. And I appreciate that so much. And I'm super stoked because I did not know you had a YouTube channel with Transformed yes. Yoga. <laughs> now I'll be visiting that. <laughs> That's amazing oh, yeah. to hear. Oh, my gosh. Well, it has been a pleasure. You have so much fun up in Canada where it is, you said, wet and cold. Wet and cold. <laughs> wet so. and cold. Sounds great. Yeah. It is just cold and annoying here in Tennessee. So <laughs> I, I like I like the sound of Canada. Yes. Oh. Thank you so much, Jackie. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.